I'm all in. Good. Let's remember that as we go throughout this week. And we're starting a, a new series this morning looking at how we can stick with the resolutions that we make at the start of the year. You know, for a long time now, my prayer has been, make me more like Jesus. Another strain of that would be, help me to be a better disciple. And, you know, I've prayed that prayer hundreds, if not thousands of times. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how to get there. You know what I mean? I've prayed it over and over again, but I, I, I'm not real sure how to get there. I know that I've got to allow God to work in my life. I know that I am partnering with Him in this endeavor, but what do I do? How do I get there? And you know, often lessons on being a better disciple focus on three areas. Pray more, study your Bible more, go to church more, right? However, I can tell you from experience that that's not a tried and true method. That's not a magical elixir that automatically makes you a better disciple. Those are all good things, things that we should all be doing on a regular, consistent basis always. However, there's more to it than just religious activity, right? It goes deeper than that. More spiritual activity doesn't typically produce the outcome that we're after, and therein lies the problem. We are often goal-oriented people, when maybe we should be more system-oriented people. In 2003, the British Cycling Organization, which is the governing body of British Cycling, hired a new man to be in charge of performance development. The man's name was Dave Brailsford, and he came in with a system called the Aggregation of Marginal Gains. That was his, his strategy, and his idea was, we're going to make 1% improvements across the board that are going to lead to massive results. So, they changed the seat of their bicycles to make it more comfortable. They rubbed rubbing alcohol on the tires so that it had better grip. They changed the suits that the riders wore to make them more aerodynamic and to provide biofeedback for the riders. They even painted the inside of their trailers that hauled the bicycles so that they could see tiny specks of dust. They painted them white so that they could see these tiny specks of dust that could compromise the overall performance of the bike. Did it work? Well, before all these changes were made, the reason why Dave Brailsford was hired is because British cycling was at the bottom. They had endured many, many years of futility. So much so that the European cycle manufacturers stayed away from the Brits. They didn't want anything to do with them. They were afraid that they would hurt their overall sales if they sponsored them or made bikes for them. But after Brailsford took over, and after he implemented these 1% changes, these tiny margins of improvement, it changed everything. British Cycling dominated the road track events at the 2008 Olympics, where they won an astounding 60% of gold medals. Four years later, at the Olympic Games in London, the Brits set nine Olympic records and seven world records. That same year, Bradley Wiggins was the first British cyclist to win Europeans, uh, the Europeans' top prize when it comes to cycling, the Tour de France. He was the first one to win the race. 
Cyclists from Britain went on to win 178 world championships from 2007 to 2017. 66 other Olympic and Paralympic gold medals were awarded, while they captured five Tour de France victories. How did it happen? By making small, tiny, 1% improvements daily and across the board. You know, when it comes to being a better disciple, we often overestimate the importance of one defining moment while underestimating the value of small daily improvements. All too often we convince ourselves that tremendous change, tremendous success requires tremendous action. We put pressure on ourselves to make this massive improvement, and so we adjust our goals accordingly. But what often happens is that our goal was so massive that we fail to reach it, and then we feel like a failure because we think that we've got to have this lofty goal and that we've got to work hard to attain it, but we realize after a while that the goal was too lofty, we fall short, and then we feel guilty. You know, we put a lot of stock in one day. The sun sets on December 31st, and when it rises the next morning, a new year has begun, signifying a new beginning and a new opportunity to live life differently. A new year brings new possibilities, new dreams, new hopes, new ideas. And in making our New Year's resolutions, we often focus on making our, our biggest dreams come true. We attempt to realize all of our hopes and dreams. And with the dawning of a new year comes the hope of a new me. And whether it be our health, our fitness, our body image, getting rid of certain habits, improving relationships, whatever it may be, most of our New Year's resolutions focus on physical improvements. In fact, New Year's resolutions can really be boiled down to three categories. You have things to make us look better and to live longer, things to make us have more, things to help us get along with everyone. So peace, prosperity, longevity, these are the things that most of our resolutions tend to focus on. Most of our resolutions are about being new and improved. The problem is, more years than not, we quickly realize that while it may be a new year, it's the same old me, right? And one thing that we know about this same old me is that it's not good with change. We don't adapt and adjust very well. All the excitement and the giddiness about the new year is soon replaced with the realization that we are unrealistic and that we're undisciplined. Then we spend the rest of the year feeling like a failure and dealing with guilt. New Year's resolutions can quickly lead to New Year's desolation. But what if? What if instead of focusing on goals, we focused on systems? Look with me at Romans chapter 12. Clay read it a moment ago. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a worthy goal, no doubt. A goal that all of us should have in our daily lives. But it's not a goal that you achieve overnight. This is not something that happens at baptism. This is something that requires persistent plotting. This is not something that can be accomplished merely by taking a goals-oriented approach. Goals are about what you want to achieve, but there's a process 
that we have to engage in in order to achieve those results. We call that a system. I can set a goal of making good grades, but the system I put in place is going to help me reach that goal, right? I've got to study. I've got to do my due diligence to keep up with classwork, all those kind of things. I set the goal, but what makes the difference in whether I achieve that goal or not is the system I put in place. I can set a goal for how much weight I want to lose in a certain amount of time, but obviously I'm not going to reach that goal unless I have a process. You know, that process has to be, you know, eating certain things, you know, exercising, all those kind of things. I I can set a goal for making a certain amount of money in business, but in order to reach that goal, I'm going to have to change the way I do things. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul wrote these words. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Results will have very little to do with the goals I set and almost everything to do with the systems that I follow. I highly doubt that Paul reached the point where he had been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer he who lived, but Christ who lived in him. I doubt he reached that point overnight. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that was a process, right? And setting the goal of dying to self and having Christ in him was not something that he could accomplish through sheer willpower or just mere religious activity. Paul identified with Christ. That's the key. Now, next week we're going to talk about identity versus outcome, but let me just say this. Who you are is going to directly affect what you do. So your identity is going to relate to your performance. There's a direct connection there. Who you are shapes what you do. If you're a coach, you may set the goal of winning the national championship. But that goal means nothing if you don't recruit the right players, if you don't have the right strategy, if you don't have the right type of practice, you know, and the things that you do on a daily basis to build a winning culture. You might, as a businessman or businesswoman, set the goal of being a millionaire within a year's time or whatever it may be. But you're going to have to focus on branding, research and development, The people that you hire is going to make all the difference. The system you put in place to reach that goal is going to make all the difference. If you're a musician and you have the goal of playing Carnegie Hall one day, the system you put in place is what's going to help you reach that goal. You've got to be able to uh, deal with the difficult measures of music. You've got to be able to to, uh, work hard and practice daily. You've got to be able to listen to the input from your mentor, your teacher. Goals are good for setting direction. But systems are the best for making progress. You see, winners and losers have the same goal, folks. Most of the time, winners and losers have the same goal. It's not that the British cycling team didn't want to win the Tour de France. You know, they didn't win it for 100 years, but they they wanted to. Not that they didn't want to. They had the same goal as everybody else, but they didn't have the system in place in order to achieve the goal. Winners and losers want the same goal. The system makes the difference. Another problem with goal setting is that goals only provide momentary change. Parents, you have a goal for your kids to clean their room, probably. And after some time, they may clean the room. And what happens two or three days later? It's messy again. You can have the goal of cleaning your room. But if you don't change your systems, your habits, it's just going to get dirty again, right? The goal really doesn't mean a whole lot. You can achieve it. 
but you're going to be wrestling with it over and over again because you've never dealt with the system or the habit that's at the root of the problem. Until you do that, there's never going to be monumental change. Achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. That's our problem with improvement. We tend to think that if we change the results, then, you know, then we're going to change everything. But the results are not the problem. The system is the problem. When you solve problems at the results level, you only make temporary changes. For lasting change, you have to address things at a systems level. Fix the inputs, and the outputs will fix themselves. Does all that make sense? I feel like I'm doing a TED Talk, and I don't want to go there. So let's dive back into Scripture. The rest of the time, we're going to be in Philippians. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I want you to notice what Paul writes. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul's goal? Knowing Jesus. A worthy goal for sure. A goal that all of us should have. What is the goal for the Christian or the disciple in this life? Don't say to get to heaven. That's not the goal. The goal is to be like Jesus. And if you make that your goal, the destination will never be in question. You won't have to worry about getting to heaven. But if you make the goal being like Jesus while you're here on earth, you're going to make a big difference in the world around you. The destination will be there at the end. So Paul had the goal of knowing Jesus. How does he get there? Well, notice that Paul admits that he hasn't reached the goal yet. He hasn't reached it yet. Which is encouraging to me because all too often I feel like I take two steps forward and three giant steps backwards, right? It kind of reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 when he talked about, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. That makes me feel good. That he learned to be content. That it wasn't something that just happened overnight. He had to learn it through going through travails, being poor, you know, those kind of things. So this is something that is learned. It's not something that is achieved in one failed swoop. Paul understood something that I think we all need to comprehend, something that we'll talk more about later, but it's this. Being more like Jesus is an ongoing process of refinement and improvement. And we have a really cool theological name for this. Do you know what it is? Sanctification. You hear the word sanctification, it's simply the process of progress when it comes to a Christian and their livelihood being a better disciple. It's the commitment to a process of refinement and improvement that's going to determine how far you get. Paul had a system for achieving his goal, and it's a system that looked like this. Reliance on the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Dedication to the message and the mission, that's Romans chapter 1. Perseverance through trials, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And a singular focus. You probably caught that in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. In fact, I love the original language here. In the Greek, 
The phrase reaching forward is a complicated Greek word that refers to a runner going all out for the finish line. It's the picture of that runner snapping the tape, falling over completely and totally exhausted because he has won the race. He has an eye for nothing but the goal. You know, as Christians, as disciples, we have to have tunnel vision. We have to see that, that finish line. Not that we don't notice other things around us, but we got our eyes set on the prize. We can't lose sight of the goal. What's the goal? To be like Jesus, right? How do we reach the goal? Through a system of discipline and effort and focus until the very end. Then I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 16. However, let's keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So Paul says it's a maintenance issue. It's about maintaining the standard. Again, it's an ongoing process. And folks, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you're going to keep striving. As we said last week, you want to die running. You want to die climbing. So you never reach that point to where you can sit back and say, I made it. It's a continuous process. You move over to chapter 4 of Philippians, and Paul talks about getting our mind right. You know, he's talking about what's in your head. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see the system? You see the goal and you see the system in place? You can do an in-depth study of Paul's writings, or really, you can actually do a cursory look. But either way, you're going to see that Paul is setting forth the goal of being like Jesus, and he's setting forth a system of how to get there. And the system isn't just about religious activity. That's important, but it's, it's more than that. It's about identifying with Christ. It's about who you are in Him. Not just, it's not just about changing what you do. That's what we want to do. We want to change what we do and think that that's going to make the difference. But you've got to change who you are. This is about transformation. This is about letting God work in you and through you. This is about a system of progress that gets you to the goal. And again, the goal being like Jesus. And so we rely on him, we identify with him. Changing who you are will require changing what you do. That's obvious. When you change who you are, it's going to change your outcomes. But if we want to change for the better, then we don't start with results. We start with our habits and our behaviors that bring about those results. Here's the thing that often sidetracks us in spiritual formation. We tend to think in terms of absolutes. We got two ends of the spectrum, and we only see ourselves is on one end or the other. And most of the time we see us on this end. This end is filthy rag. And this end is beautiful, pristine white garment. This is where we're moving towards or where we want to be. But most of us see ourselves as that filthy rag always. But understand that the absolutes orient us, okay? Use them as orientation. Most of us are not stuck at filthy rag. Most of us are moving from filthy rag to beautiful, pristine white garment. So stop thinking that you're just one end or the other. Think more of, I'm doing the things, I'm implementing a system to get me to the point to where one day my Lord will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The absolutes 
are there to orient us. What matters most is not the distance you cover in record time. It's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's about the direction that you're heading. So imagine that I have an ice cube sitting here on the podium. And imagine it's really cold in here. Let's say it's 25 degrees. That ice cube sitting here, unfazed. 25 degrees, it's in heaven. We raise the temperature by one degree. 26 degrees, 27 degrees, 28 degrees, nothing, right? You're still cold, the ice cube's still cold, everything's good. Then we get to 32 degrees and something starts to change, right? Maybe we go up one more degree to 33 degrees and now all of a sudden you got a little bit of water pooling at the bottom of the ice cube, it's starting to sweat. At 33 degrees, you're not going to feel much different than you did at 25 degrees. It's still cold. But that little change, that one degree in change of temperature made all the difference for that ice cube. And I think we've got to start believing that as people, as disciples. Instead of, you know, setting these massive goals that we're going to be so much better in the new year and here's how we're going to do it. Focus on tiny improvement and adjustment. 1% change. And think about how that changes you by the end of the year. You know, if you were to make a 1% change every day in your life, by the end of the year, you would be 37 times better than you are today. Conversely, if you didn't make any change, if you went backwards 1%, you would be at almost zero by the end of the year. And I understand we can't quantify this with numbers and percentages, and most of us don't even feel like we're improving by 1% every day. But you get the point, right? It's small incremental changes that maybe we need to focus on instead of these massive goals that we set that we never reach and then we feel horrible because we don't reach them. Spiritual formation is a product of daily habits, not once-in-a-lifetime transformations. It's like an airplane taking off from Los Angeles to New York. If that airplane after takeoff makes a 3.5 degree alteration, it's going to end up in Washington, D.C., Now, 3.5 degrees doesn't mean as much when you're taking off from Los Angeles, heading to New York. The nose of the plane isn't going to vary too much. Passengers on the plane aren't going to know any different. But you're going to end up hundreds of miles off course. Just the little change at takeoff makes all the difference. Same is true with us. 1% may not seem like much, but over the span of a lifetime, these choices determine the difference between where you are and where you could be. Too small to make a difference is a big, fat lie, folks. It's not true. It's the small daily rhythms that make the difference. Okay, so let's look at Philippians chapter 2 as we close. So we've looked at Philippians 3, we've looked at Philippians 4. Let's go back to chapter 2, starting verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. We've said it before, spiritual growth is a process of letting God work in you. That's what Paul says. It is allowing Jesus to live his life through you. God works in bringing about the transformation of each individual that we so desperately need. The Philippians were being transformed from the inside out. In fact, it says, for it is God who is at work in you. This is not some passive thing. I'm not trying to suggest that you can earn or merit salvation or your your place in heaven. But this is a partnering with God. 
If you're going to reach the goal of being more like Jesus, you're going to have to partner with Jesus. There is a co-opting that goes on here. This is a partnership. You know, some people read this verse and they say, well, you know, you've got to work out your own salvation and, and I've got to work out mine and that's just how it is. It's an individual thing, but that's not the context of Paul's words. Not in any way, shape, or form. Paul is saying that it takes a village. Paul is saying that it takes all of us as a team united in a common effort to work out salvation. That we all need each other to get this done, to be better, to grow, to accomplish the goal. That's the system. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus is a cooperative effort. It's not just you and Jesus. It's also you and everybody else with Jesus. The Greek word for work out here means to labor or toil in order to bring about something to completion or fulfillment. So what Paul is saying to the Philippian brethren is that they must strive to work together to bring their salvation to completeness or fulfillment. This is about us, not me. That's why we have to be all in. We're all in with God and with each other. That's the system so that we can reach the goal. We fear God, we revere Christ, we stand in awe of our Lord and King. And because we love and respect Him so much, we fear disappointing Him. You know, He's given us a new name, Christian. We don't want to mar that name. We don't want to deface it. We don't want to put a wart on the church. We don't want to give the church a black eye. And so we do what He commands us to do. We live as He would have us to live. And that includes submitting to one another, preferring one another, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, bearing one another's burdens, all those one another's, the things that Jesus said are traits of a genuine disciple and things that make us more like him. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, transformation is all about relationship. It's not so much about doing as it is about being. Jesus talked a lot about abiding in John chapter 15, a great passage that talks about relationship what you do is based on who you are. We all have the same purpose. I hear people talk a lot about, you know, I, I'm just trying to find my purpose. I can tell you what your purpose is. It's to glorify God. That's everybody's purpose. I'd have athletes tell me, you know, I, I believe God put me on this earth to play ball. No, he didn't. He put you on this earth to glorify God. He didn't put you on this earth to make money. He didn't put you on this earth to do anything but to glorify him. Now, can you glorify God? In your career, absolutely, you should. Glorifying God should, should saturate your entire being. It should consume everything that you are and everything that you do. But your number one purpose is to glorify God. That's not a mystery. People say, I just, I don't know my purpose. Yeah, your purpose is to glorify God. It's pretty straightforward. And if you can't glorify God in your chosen endeavor, you need to change your chosen endeavor. You need to find some way to glorify God. If your career doesn't allow you to glorify God, you need to change careers. Whatever it takes, you've got to glorify God because that's your purpose. That's the system that has been put into place to glorify God so that I can reach the destination. So here's my challenge to you this week. As you go throughout this week, I want you to plant a garden. Okay, starting today, when we get done here, I want you to go home and I want you to plant a garden. And I realize it's not a great time of year to plant a garden, but I promise you, this one you can plant at any time, and I encourage you to do it right now today. Here's what I want you to plant. First of all, plant three rows of squash, okay? Squash gossip. Quit gossiping. You're not helping us. 
Stop gossiping. If you're one that gossips, stop it. That doesn't help the church. Squash undue criticism. Instead of looking for the fault in everybody, look for a reason to praise them. Squash indifference. Quit being neutral. Quit being idle. If you're going to be all in, you've got to be all in. You've got to be willing to take your faith to the next level by saying, I'm all in. Right? I'm, I'm ready to do whatever I need to do to live out my purpose. So plant three rows of squash. Also plant three rows of peas. Purity, patience, perseverance. This process of sanctification is going to take a lot of this. Striving for purity, striving for patience, striving for perseverance. I have no business preaching on patience, right? But I'm working on it, and I'm sure all of you are working on it. Perseverance is enough. You've you got to have the long-haul view in mind here, like we said. And if you're going to have the long-haul view in mind, you've got to be able to endure. You've got to have perseverance. And then plant six rows of lettuce. So let us be selfless. Let us be servants. Let us be biblical. Let us not weary in doing good. Let us be faithful and let us love one another. I think those are pretty straightforward. But if we're going to be all in on this sanctification process as a team, then we're going to have to do these things. And finally, no garden is complete without turnips. So we need three rows of turnips. Turn up for church and Bible class. You can't be all in if you're not here. Turn up for church and Bible class. Turn up with a smile. Turn up with determination to do your best for God's glory. And I know we have some joining us online that are not able to get out yet or don't feel comfortable getting out. They're symptomatic, whatever. Obviously, we want to continue live streaming if you're in those situations. However, for the rest of us, turn up, be here, put on a smile, and be determined to give your best for God's glory. Go home, plant a garden, and let's watch Oldham Lane grow as we grow with each other and grow in Christ. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for our growth. Thank you for our, our, our wonderful, wonderful leaders, our shepherds who guide us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of something great. And may we continue what you've started here. May we be great gardeners. May we partner with you and with each other to grow something great here. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Luke's going to lead us in a song. If we can, if we can pray with you this morning, if, if you're ready to take that next step, whatever it may be in discipleship. We talked about it last week. If you haven't left Egypt yet, then that's the place you need to start. Leave the bondage of sin and the slavery of sin. If you've done that but you're not moving towards the promised land anymore, you can do a U-turn. You can get back on track. We can help you with that. Whatever your need this morning is, don't leave without being all in. Come as we stand and as we sing.